Welcome to Eat, Sleep, Wine, Repeat, a podcast for all you wine lovers who, if you're like me, just cannot get enough of the good stuff. I'm Yanina Doyle, your host, brand ambassador, wine educator, and sommelier. So stick with me as we dive deeper into this ever-evolving, wonderful world of wine. And wherever you are listening to this, cheers to you. Hello, wine lovers. So welcome back to another episode. Today, we're going to be touching on Austria, the wines of Austria. And I have a fantastic guest who is going to shed some light on her own personal experiences and journey and connection to Austrian wine. We have Amelia Singer, on the podcast today. So some of you may already know her. She's a fantastic wine communicator and educator. You may have seen her as the TV presenter on The Wine Show. You may have seen her as the wine guru on Jamie Oliver's DrinkTube channel. She's written for Waitrose and Partners in their food magazine. So she has been around for quite some time and it's just a fantastic conversation. She is someone with beautiful energy and I know that you're going to enjoy this conversation. So we will be talking about Zweigelt, Blaufrankisch, St. Laurent, which actually is how you're supposed to pronounce the great variety, not St. Laurent. And these are the three red great varieties, the main ones. Of course, we will be talking about Grüneveltliner, the white grape, the number one grape variety of Austria. And I just hope you enjoyed this podcast as much as I have recording it and that afterwards you want to delve deeper into its history, the regions and its flavours. So grab yourself a bottle of Austrian wine, I'm drinking a Gruner Veltliner in this episode, and that is from Wickham's Wine, which is my incredible sponsor of this season. So if in doubt, you know exactly where you can get a bottle. So get that schnitzel in the pan, pour yourself that glass of Gruner and enjoy the episode. Okay. Amelia, we're not faffing around here. This is super yeah. serious. It's not about fun. We're doing, what did you ask for? You wanted to cheers straight away with wine. Yes, with Austrian <laughs> wine. Yes. yes, with Austrian wine. Okay, so cheers. Cheers. Yay. Uh, yeah, but Prost. okay. Prost. Prost. But yeah, but we've got nothing to clink it with. Like, ping. No, clinking a computer wait, wait. screen is not quite the same. There you go. That's right. That'll do. Okay. Why are we doing Austrian wine? It's not, it's not Austrian wine day. You're not actually a officially Austrian or are you? Well, Austro-Hungarian, I think my grandparents would prefer to say, okay. identify with that. Yeah, my dad's parents were from Austro-Hungary when that was a thing. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> when, when that was a thing, when it was in, no, when it was in fashion. No, it, yeah, I was like, I'm just going to gloss over certain decades of really painful personal and international history. Yeah, and moving on from that. Moving on. But no, I mean, it is important to me. I was very much brought up with Austro-Hungarian cooking by my grandparents. My grandfather would have said he's technically from Hungary, even though the borders have changed. My grandmother was from Moravia in the Czech Republic. We had family in Vienna. My grandmother trained to be an opera singer in Vienna along with her sister and her mother. Oh, was I like love that. Cultural connection with that part of, of the world, which has been passed on through our family's love of music and Austrian wine and goulash and paprika chicken. <laughs> Boom. Summed up literally pretty much in one sentence. I love that. So 
Now, my question to you and all the people listening, what they want to know is, have you drunk a decent amount of Austrian wine? I think I have. I think I have. I wanted to caveat this because that does not mean that I've actually done any wine trips there. How I have... Fair enough. Well, actually, yes. I lie. I did go to like the Vienna Wine Fair, which is held. It's, it's amazing. It's like the Austrian Wine Fair. It's held in Vienna in the Imperial Palace every other year. And it's got hundreds of wineries. And I went with my father last year. And that was an amazing father-daughter trip where we also managed to pack in lots of cafe trips and getting Zaka Tort and buying Austrian waistcoats oh, from Lodal Plankin. Yes, yes. You know, and then going to kind of wine taverns, which have been run from families since like the 18th century. We went to Hurga. I'm going to butcher this. Hurga Kialinga, which is an amazing <laughs> wine tavern. Great. If you want to get ties and cravats, which my father only ever wears. My mother jokes she's never seen his neck. We had to go to <laughs> Yulman, which has been around since the 18th century. Love that. And we also went antique shopping. So like we basically combined three or four days in Vienna last year tasting so many different Austrian wines, a lot, unfortunately, which aren't exported, which is quite frustrating, but like a wonderful, and Brexit doesn't help, quite frankly. And then also mixing it up with the local culture. So that for me is really what wine is about. And and of course, there's our family history as well. But Vienna is an incredible city to visit. And it's the largest wine city in the world. Is it? There's 630 wineries dotted around Vienna and you can take the Hurigen Express train and go visit them all. Well, well see now, all, but. <laughs> I'm equally the same as you, having not actually gone to any of the Austrian regions except for Vienna, which is actually so worth commenting it on. Is a it is a wine region. And I remember, and literally, you can walk out of the main city. I say this now, I'm wondering if I took a bus or a taxi. But either way, I remember be literally walking through the vineyards and just looking out at the Vienna city. It is amazing. And you talked about those little taverns. Now, I went and everything was shut because it was coming close to winter. I can't remember, but every, like there were no leaves on the vines so I'm pretty sure we were getting close to winter and so of course everything was shut but these little taverns don't they when they're open it's like they sell their really young wines right like which they tend to put with sparkling water you know that's a kind of a light but then also like these families make very traditional dishes lots of them have been running since the 18th century it's very very rustic it's not fancy pants there's usually lots of singing because they tend to have well we went must have been in May last year. Actually, I have been to a wine region. I was to <laughs> go to the 150th anniversary of Schloss Gobelsburg, which is just outside yes. of Vienna. Isn't that in Camptal? Am I making yes. that up? Is that in Camptal? I'm sure it's in Camptal. Now I'm getting confused with Nick wine all over the place. I'm going to have to fact check that because... Let's fact check it. Let's fact check it because they make wines with, using various sites around the Long and Loire and... Yeah, around Campton Crystal. Okay, but I love the fact that you're like, I've not been to a wine region. Oh, wait, I have. I love that. You know, there's so many visits to wine regions. Well, yeah, it's the just- thing is we only went literally just in the evening. It was an amazing celebration of 850 years of winemaking. And I'll get talking about Schloss Goblesburg mm. later. But um, what, I'm actually Talk wait. about it now. Yeah, so actually, I technically have been to Camptel, but it was for an 850th anniversary at Schloss Goblesburg. So I, we just went to, well, we just went to that winery. We had amazing back vintages and it was complete with Viennese traditional music. And it was 
really, really special. And then the next day it was the wine fair. So we had three days in Vienna. Now, okay, I need you to tell me about this wine fair. So how many days does it last? So it lasts for about three or four days. Okay. And it's in the Imperial Palace, which what I love about Austria is it's very organized, but they still have a great- (laughs) Some Some of the German influence. It's like this wonderful combination of like German influence and also like Italian influence too. And like, they can have fun. They actually also really get, have a dark sense of humor. Like, cause I've okay. talked to some comedians from like the Edinburgh Fringe. And they're like, oh, if we bring our kind of plays over to Germany, they don't always get it. But if it's a bit zany or a dark sense of humor, the Austrians really get it. <laughs> Which is okay. like, I don't think it's like All what right. people expect. So I think what I like about the Austrians is like, they work hard, they're very efficient, but hospitality is hospitality and it's meant to be fun. And when you go, it's like in the Imperial Palace, you're like, how can anyone have hundreds of wineries, all these different masterclasses, all these different stalls, like from around the country, all in one place and like working in a clockwork fashion. And it does. And everything's so well signed, amazing booklets. They gave us like really fancy pants spittoons, which I love, like our personal spittoons, which I loved. It was amazing. Okay. Yeah. There's amazing food everywhere. Like there's always like incredible bread rolls and local cheeses and cured meats everywhere. So you don't go hungry. I mean, they've got it down to a T at Vivinum. It's called like, yeah, like kind of Vienna Wine Fair, Vivinum. Amazing. Okay. And obviously the fact that you're saying you and your dad went, you're suggesting though, this is not a trade event. This is also open to public. Everyone listening to this can come. So it's open Uh, in the morning to trade. Okay. And then the afternoon to the public. Okay. Perfect. So yeah. So it's a mix. I love that. And I kind of, I'm naughty. I call my dad, my faux CEO, but actually he's great (laughs) because he speaks perfect German. So he uh-huh. actually talks to all the winemakers for me. So I put him to work. Oh, good. Well, of course, right? That's amazing. Yeah. So he does the real communicating in that aspect. And you just drink, taste. You know, he double yeah. checks that the wine is good enough for you. And then you drink it. Absolutely. Damage Love control. that. Honestly, when I was in Austria, which and I guess a lot of people don't know about, and I think, you know, like we're going to get onto the different grape varieties, but I love that you've got the Geminster Saps. And again, I am probably, again, butchering as English people speaking German, but Geminster Saps is, yeah. yeah what do you no, think? That was, that, I couldn't do any. No, and I would have said exactly the same. Everyone listening, remember this is a transcript. But this is the field blend wines that are really cool. That's kind of, I think, really coming into their own. And these are the wines that are made around Vienna, which kind of give them this little unique edge. Like there's so much, you've got these cool field blend wines. So if anyone listening, that is literally has to be made from at least three different grape varieties that are planted in the same vineyard and, you know, fermented together. And typically, as far as I know, actually, either no oak or very little oak. So they're just great, amazing wines. You can literally visit all of these vineyards. You've got those lovely cool taverns that just drink, that show their young, delicious wine, like you've said. You've got the opera, you've got the ballet, You've got the Sacha Torta, that amazing chocolate cake. What more can you What more? Really yeah. Want? When I was in Vienna, I remember that I was overstimulated by the architecture. <laughs> this is a thing. I remember every corner we turned around and there was another beautiful fountain or building, something. And I was just like, I'm done. I can't. I can't do, I can't do anymore. I can't bring any more emotion. <laughs> and no, then, of course, I, totally I yeah. 
well, because I was at the um, at the beginning of the week, I was in Romania and I flew into Timisoara, which is known as Baby Vienna yes. because it was actually like the blueprint for Vienna. So, so many of the squares yes. and everything, I mean, it's much, much smaller. And actually, it just got voted the cultural city of the year in Europe, which is great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Timisoara was like a little dose. And then suddenly you just, it's like on acid when you go to Vienna. It's just <laughs> such a sensorial explosion and yeah it's really beautiful and the wonderful imperial gardens and yeah the austro-hungarian architecture and the great thing about the wine fair is this local wine but then they have like wines from all around the country so actually a real discovery for me last year was the white grape rot gipfler oh i love that i mean go for it Tell me about Rot Gifler. I love that was like my big discovery, and the reason why I'm bringing it up it sounds a bit random, but <laughs> it, it comes is. only from one region, the Termen region. And when <sighs> I was at the fair, I actually bumped into one of the buyers for Waitrose, okay. and we were both at this amazing winery's stall called Hartle Winery, and they're based in Termen region. And both me and the Waitrose buyer were both enlightened by this grape because it's actually a hybrid made from Veltlina and Tremina. And so you therefore get this wonderful perfume, but with really elegant dryness and structure. And you know, it can age over 50 years. It's like, and it takes to oak really well. So you can like put like a light use of oak to it and it takes on like wonderful silky proportions. But what's also really good about it in regards to climate change uh-huh. is that actually it can deal with really, really hot temperatures and still retain gorgeous, gorgeous, bright acidity. So I actually think, even though it's only like not that well known, I think it could be a real, really, really important grape for Austria in the future. Okay, why why do none of us know about this? I have never heard of it. You only just found out about it. I mean, has anyone explained why this is just... Well, I think they just probably drink most of it domestically. As I say, <laughs> I don't think they make a huge amount it's not the biggest grape would be like Grüneveltliner, and then people know about Riesling, and then like from Styria, there's like Sauvignon Blanc. There's also Morion, their version of Chardonnay, mm-hmm. and I think these are much easier to sell. But we're not even that important to them. They don't a they don't export that much anyway, and the UK is only like the eighth most important market. <laughs> <laughs> I know, so, they, they, I know. the US is more important than us. I know that they were one of the bigger markets. We're not, we're quite small in comparison, aren't we? And and so we get very little, don't we? Yeah, Germany doesn't get, Germany probably, I don't even know if they export. The one Rot Gipfler, which I, I did see was Waitrose actually took some in. What? And it was like kind of like okay. entry level. So I think, I'm not sure if it's still there. It was for a limited time, but I didn't want to say anything because I'm not sure if it's just, it, they were just like testing out in the Waitrose cellar. Okay. But the buyer was just so kind of, yeah, in love with it. And I actually attended like a masterclass in the Termin region. That's where we found out about actually it could be a super, super important grape for Austria. Okay, everybody, you heard it here first. There you go. Amelia has brought us newsflash. Pay attention to the grape that I've already forgotten, Rot it's like it's like rot gipfler. I mean, it's a terrible name. It's like rot as like rot and then (laughs) G-I-P. F-L-E-R. That probably also is why it probably doesn't sell that well. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. I love it. Okay, brilliant. Well, okay, maybe we should get on to the other grape varieties that we Which do know you about. Can get hold of. Yeah. Right. Okay. So I have Grüneveltliner with me today. I'll tell you what, I'll show you mine if you show me yours. 
what wine have you brought to the table today? Oh my gosh, I put my wine bottle back in the fridge, but I went to Jerry. Oh, okay, you could just t- you could just tell me, yeah. But people okay, listening sorry. can't see us. <laughs> I actually got a really fantastic. I'd never tried it before. It's from Winery Nastel, so spelt N A S T L, and okay. it was fifteen pounds fifty. And I was like, okay, cool. Like, let's just see what I get. And actually, it was like when I smelt it, I immediately. I had a really complex nose for mm-hmm. that price. I got like lots of stone fruits, what you'd expect, maybe like a little bit of white pepper. And then on the palate, you get loads of ripe quince and apple and the finish lasts for a really long time. And you do get that kind of spritzy, white peppery, like spicy thing happening. So no, it, it's really great. I never heard of this winery and then I Googled them and apparently they've been around since 1656, like so many since of these wineries, but since a while. And it's still family run. and. Like, congratulations, Jeroboam's, because this is a really classy wine. And I posted it on my Instagram story, being like, hey, I'm going to give this wine a go. And I actually already had, like, two Psalms comment and be like, that's a really classy wine, and the the price is great. Well, now, interesting. The one thing that you forgot to say was the grape variety. No, 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 was the grape variety. But, but, the fact is that you said white pepper... You talked about freshness. I think for people, you know, give them a moment to guess. But if they don't know, you hit on the exact point that it's definitely green about Luna, right? So we both, we both. (laughs) But that was fun. I know lo- that's good. I love that. So that just it goes to show, I think that's why Grunewald Lina has become Austria's signature grape variety. I mean, obviously it's from Austria, but it's so different, isn't it? That white pepper vibe. I love it because actually I really want to champion white wines from Austria, not just Gruner, but just like in general, because what I love about Austrian whites, which is quite similar to Slovenian whites, which is very similar to Hungarian whites, and which was very similar to like the wines I tried in Romania, is that wonderful combination of intensity of fruit combined with bright acidity, which just make them delicious on their own, but also so versatile and food friendly. And I'm sure that's why sommeliers love Grunewaldlina so much. Precisely. 100%. And I've gone classic as well. I've got Grunewaldlina. I was thinking, do I go black? Do I find black Frankish? But because, and as I mentioned to you, I've got a beautiful sponsor this year who are going to make this podcast grow because I actually am going to have time to have, be able to give the editing to somebody else. Yay. They're amazing online retailer called Wickham Wines and they have the Hydera Mayer Grunewald Lina. So this is a 2021 vintage. And what I like about it is actually from um, Vagram, which is not as famous as some of the other regions like Vakao, uh, you already mentioned Kamdal and Krems, yeah. uh, exactly, and Kremsdal. And so this is still a really good region, but what's quite nice, I always think you can get some quite good value. Yeah. And I just love the freshness. And again, if you buy six wines, and I mean, we should always be buying six wines, shouldn't we? You get it for £13.50. If, if you wow. Do just want the, yeah, if, if you want the one wine, it's 15 And I, I've always, and genuinely, this is why I love Wickham Wines, because I really think you can get some really fantastic Is that Wicker Wines? Wickham. Wickham. 
Oh, Wickham wines. Sorry, I just wanted to clarify yeah. that. Wickham wines. No, I have heard of them. They're great. Yeah. Sorry, it's it's because I've already I've literally just finished the bottle. So <laughs> we've still got a whole podcast to record. So if everyone listening, if I stop being as coherent as normal, it has been because I've been swallowing this very delicious wine. So warning, quite easy to drink. Um, you no, know, Grunwald Lena, it's low in alcohol compared to other white wines. Um, you know, what have I got? well, I know with oh. climate change, that is changing. Yeah. Okay. First of all, no, this is that it, they typically often are the stuff that we get. This happens to be 13%. So actually slightly going against the rule a little bit. I think Valgrando is slightly sunnier though, isn't it? Slightly warmer. And so it is going to be a slightly riper style. Precisely, because if you get a lot of your gruners from like Vaca, which is for me has yeah. always been the, the the most, it, it specializes so entirely on Gruner. But remember there, they've got these, it's the, you've got obviously the Danube River running. Yeah. Typically, most vineyards are planted on that northern bank and they're super steep slopes, super terraced. And of course, at, yes, I mean, obviously there's crazy diurnals there. And I think as well, for that reason, I mean, I'm going to... I always say to people, we're here to educate, and this is the rule, but there's always exceptions to the rule. And I mean, when we think of, <laughs> and I was going to say something about Vacau, but then with Vacau, you've got their specific, they have their specific rulings of the three mm-hmm. different alcohol levels and ripeness and intensity, right? Yep. So, you know, I'm going to keep my Deep mouth shut. Yeah. Right, so, so it's quite I've got like one in front of me, and it's like a smaragd. So that's like the kind of really right opulent one. So it is Steinfeder, Federspiel, and then the smaragd. Yeah, and they have to give you these crazy, crazy. Yes, exactly. They have to give us crazy names. But of course, it's a bit. Once people actually know whether they're looking for Steinfeder, which has to be like under eleven point five percent alcohol. You've got the Federspiel that's like 11.5 to 12.5. And then you've got, which in theory, I guess if this wine was in the Vacau region, this would be considered a Smaragd. So I've actually got a, a riper style. I've got a more kind of concentrated fruity style because those have to be above 12.5%. But it's kind of yeah. cool. Everyone listening, try and remember that because actually if you want to try Grunewaldlina, and you really want to be able to have your breakfast wine, lunch wine, and dinner wine? I don't know. Is that is that what they are, Amelia? <laughs> yeah, that's perfect. <laughs> right? Yeah. But it, it's quite, it, you could look for that. And actually, the Steinfeder one is what they often do in Vienna. They mix the lightest Bruna with sparkling water. Do they? Of, like, the, well, if it's like very basic, kind of light mm. About Lena, I mean, I'm not like saying from the top like wineries, but quite a lot of people do think of it as like a lunch wine, and they might, you know, do a little gemischt and like mix it. Yeah. Okay. I'm not sure if I fully support that, but I do understand I if it's not a super premium. It's like, but again, this is the conversation of do you put ice cubes in your wine? And I mean, I personally don't, but I'm also open to the fact that everybody's experience is personal, and they should do what what tastes best to them, right? Absolutely. <laughs> but you know, I was very, very lucky. I had a chat with Lens Moser, who is oh, yeah. gonna be, yes, who's uh, amazing, an amazing winemaker, making wine in China now because he just can't stand still. But he was saying as well that, you know, you should be looking for that. Well, white pepper is 
super classic for greener vetlina. And obviously we're, we're forgetting that you've got this incredible acidity. This is something that you're going to get with Gruner all the time. But actually a lot of wineries now, and I suppose with the development, are finding ways to ripen the flavor. And the white pepper is slightly becoming something that they're finding ways to diminish a little bit. So I think you, you're always going to get this herbal note, something green, yeah. something like, I always sometimes get this like rocket salad note or like something yeah, a bit absolutely. more bitter or dill, but it's just zing. It's crisp. It's fresh. Most of the time. It, acidity. it should always be really good acidity to like balance, not as high as Riesling, but it, that should always be there to cleanse the palate, no matter how intense or ripe the fruit is. Cause like, yeah, the totally. fruit can go from like lemon and lime all the way up to like nectarine and quince. Yes. But there should be this acidity there to support it. And that's Definitely, why yeah. it ages so well. Like everyone, no one realizes that. But like I've had so many really great aged Grunewaldlinas. And there is an argument to be said that it actually ages more consistently than Rieslings. Because I've actually, the other place where uh-huh. I've been, where I've tasted a lot of Austrian wine, is we go on holiday every year skiing. And we always stay in this little village called Lech. And that's, we always stay at this one hotel, Hotel Alberg, and my dad always chooses it because it's like a one family holiday of the year and my dad loves his food and loves his wine. <laughs> and it's no- I love him. It. Yeah, exactly. And it's got an amazing wine cellar. I actually met the Guttergau family who make amazing, interesting okay. wines from the Borgenland. They were staying at the hotel. But funnily Good enough, timing. where I've had more access to older vintages is across the street from the hotel. There's a I'm actually revealing all my secrets now. There's a spa <laughs> grocery store. Okay. And we have made friends, my father and I, with Vili, the guy who runs the wine department. I mean, it's a very posh spa. Like they have like nice products. Well, I want to say mm-hmm. posh and just like nice premium products. And it's quite yeah. a nice ski resort town, you know? He suddenly realized that we were coming every day, like to kind of like see interesting wines. And I'd always stock up in my wine suitcase. I bring a wine suitcase, my dad would bring a wine suitcase. And it turned out that Billy's side hustle was actually to buy widows' wine cellars. And these women didn't want their wine. So suddenly in like the basement, he was doing a side hustle at Spa of these like super aged, like I've got in front of me like a 2005 Knoll Smarag Riesling. I've got 2000. In five Pichler, Smarag, Riesling. I've got a Schloss Gobelsborg from like 2004. But like, this is all his wow. side hustle. And so, from doing that and from buying these older things and then comparing it to Rieslings, and then I, I'd like done some like research online and things. And I've talked to, yeah, like kind of Austrian wine lovers and experts. And there is actually an argument to be made that it is more consistent. Well, and maybe no. that is because of the balance of intensity of fruit and acidity. I can't contribute a personal experience here because I haven't had any old Grunewaldliner, but from listening to people, very often they say, one, yes, Grunewaldliner is so good old, but actually then a lot of people mix it up with Chardonnay because it loses some Mm -hmm. of the white pepper tones and gets really rich and rounded. So at the end of the day, right? Oh, And it can take on like... It can take on like creamy, like kind of cashew nut, nutting. It's just divine. But I don't have the willpower to buy green Veltlina and put it down. So that's why it's quite helpful <laughs> having Billy have all these like widowers donating him <sighs> their wares. <laughs> well, okay. Anybody who wants to know exactly where this is, contact me or Amelia. If you contact me, I'll pass you on. And she's going to have to. You promise, right? Promise? Just 
that they can go there? You're no, going to tell no, them the truth? All I like, okay, well, maybe. I mean, you've said it out like loud now. Revealed a huge secret. I know, I know. Okay, okay. But, everybody, um, butter yeah. up Amelia for a little bit on Instagram. Yeah, and, and see I might. If... I might. <laughs> Everyone's you know, surprised. Oh, okay. But I mean, already we're talking. I actually, I realized, sorry, I should probably say something about my grid of Alina. It's also family run. It's been around for a while since like 1844 as well. And I mean, you just, yeah, you get the touch of pepper, a little bit of herb, super fresh, a little bit mineral, nice citric notes, this kind of sweet apple note. Great. Done. Medium body. We're good. It's yummy. Go get it. But we're both getting excited about this Austrian wines business, but for anybody who hasn't really experienced Austrian wine, whether you're going white or red, it's just fresh, food friendly, great acidity, and really fresh wines. Like loads of the reds as well can be chilled down. They have, just yeah. this summer vibes, right? Well, I think also when you think back, like you can never really think about wine without the food traditions alongside. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. when I think back when like, what my grandparents used to make for us every Sunday. It was all like very hearty continental fare, like paprika chicken <laughs> and goulash. And then some, you'll have like pickled things. And, you know, it's, it's very, very heavy and like potato, you know, it's, it is not light. So actually these wines are so amazing because they do have all that flavor, but then the acidity absolutely cuts through all of that and just complements it perfectly. So even with the reds, as you say, like it could be like really dark and plummy fruit but there'll still be like some black pepper elements and some lovely perfume. And yes, with, yeah. I was just, you, you're so right. Funny enough, we talk about green of and we say a bit of white pepper and that's really distinctive. With all of the three main red grape varieties, which I think we'll touch on in a second, they all seem to carry very often a bit of a, more of a black pepper, of course, not white, but a bit of a peppery, spicy tone Spice to them. To it. Uh, right, all of them. It's- and they're all it's quite coquettish, that's what I like about it. Sometimes they blow Frankish or whatever, sometimes like you need to age it a bit before it'll open up. But all of them, if you allow them to do that, have like a lot of intensity, great acidity, but then unlike Italian wines, the tannins are a bit softer. Aren't they? And yeah. Okay. Zweigelt is the grape variety that is most planted, but Zweigelt is actually a crossing of the other two grape varieties. Blau Frankish and Saint Laurent. Or actually, I don't think you're supposed to say Saint Laurent. That's the French way. It's Saint Laurent. Anyway. Yeah. It's we keep on ruining it by saying it's the French way. But which grape variety do we start with first? I mean, do you have a preference? Do you have a go-to if you were to pick a red grape? I mean, we could go from like lightest to medium to biggest. Okay. So like lightest would be the Saint Laurent, I guess. Because, like, that's actually related to the Pino family. But nobody and knows. It tends to be quite, like, dark. Yeah, but it's yeah. so annoying. With all the history, it's like, it's related to Pinot. Maybe it came from, like, some Pinot seed. Maybe, we don't know, unknown origin. I have Googled so much this great variety. I know, like, there's a whole mystery around it. Right. <laughs> and I, I mean, again, I, I can kind of see it's, it's, it can also be like a beefier version of Pinot because you do get very light ones. Yes. My dad for ages yes. didn't like it. He's like, oh, this is too light. And then I forced him when we <laughs> actually went to the, like, the Vienna Wine Fair. I forced him to attend a masterclass on Saint Laurent. Because I'm like, look, I know that, of course, it's like the raspberry, the blackberry, like pomegranate yeah. fruit. But actually, it takes very well to oak. And my dad needs like a little bit of body. 
So what's quite interesting is like, yeah, it's it's juicy, it's like velvety, whatever. But in the right hands, you can get kind of like a beefier version of Pinot Noir. Not, I'm going to desecrate my other heritage, which is America right now. I sometimes don't like how Californians handle Pinot Noir because they just shove it in oak and they treat it, treat it like a cab. But in the right <laughs> hands, and just again, because it's Europe, like this Saint Laurent, if it has been adeptly put into oak, then you do get really gorgeous, yeah, you get the softer tannins, it's really juicy, it's velvety and is a slightly beefier version of Pinot. So for example, the Saint Laurent, which really converted my father to that great variety is Umatum, okay, which is imported into the UK by Clark Foisters. And yeah, I think it's about, I was like writing down notes, like that's 26 pounds. I think even in Waitrose, actually, there's a Saint Laurent for 14 pounds in Waitrose wine cellar. And again, that from the description, I haven't tried it, but they're talking like spices and a little bit of vanilla. So that would I would say like is like the beefier version, but then you can have like very stripped back kind of perky bright ones, you know, with, with minimal intervention from um, Scheider, but which newcomer wines is actually a great one if you want more of like the funkier minimalistic approach. But no, it's a really fun grape. And yes, it is related to Pinot, but it, it can sometimes have a bit more oomph depending on the producer. I think that's a perfect summary. It's like Pinot Noir, but oomphier. <laughs> and you might even yeah. find, with a, along with the red fruit, there could be a hint of some sort of spice. But, okay, so then we go to Zweigat, which is actually the most planted red. And again, I don't know, there's a Pinot vibe with that as well. I mean, for me, there is this silky, velvety tannins. You, It's really bright. It's vibrant. It's fruity. This one for me is my favorite one if I was going to chill of the three. I think can be really, really nice, a little bit colder and dry. It's a really good picnic red. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's it's, it's the word. Like, yeah, it's a really good, like, and there's sometimes like there's more Morello cherry, like comes up. I get like a lot of like kind of cherry fruits with it. You can sometimes get licorice as well as the black pepper, which I really like. I kind of see it. It's funny. I've had like some Zweigelts, again, I think it's quite a capricious great like you have to be quite careful because it's prone to high fertility so you know in the right hands it's awesome but it can sometimes just be quite briary and like a bit of the crazy I, I always think of it as the middle child like out of the family <laughs> it's like Blau Frankish and Saint Laurent at the bottom where they kind of created this like kind of middle child but made in the right hands and again I would say Umatum is is amazing you can get that from Clark Foisters there's also actually, I saw that at MS, I really now want to go to MS. It's part really? of their found range. Oh my God. Okay, this is 50. how much? £7.50. Because no one knows what it is. Now that's brilliant. I mean, just taking a side note, you went to Romania and you went to Cramley Rakash. They have literally for about yeah. £7 one of their white wines from Cremerly Rakash, which I think is seven pounds, super aromatic. The Fetieshka Regala. I mean, my yeah. God, M&S and their like discovery range. It's really, re for those of you in the UK, it's sorry, crazy. everyone else that's not listening and isn't in the UK, but for those of you that are, yeah, that's a really good, it genuinely is a good discovery range, isn't it? Okay, Zweigert and M&S, interesting. Yeah. And I think the Umatum one is like about 26 pounds. So that's the thing. It's like you can have an entry point at M&S and then you can like work yourself up to about like 20 pounds from the Hellebuola. That's like the name of the site, Umatum, and that's available from Clark Foister. And like that I would say is like classic, classic. Like if you want 
a really serious producer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If you paid twenty pounds for the one from Umatum, that's that. But yeah, I think it's so great that MS have one on their range. Love that. Well done, you guys. Now, okay, Blau Frankish to finish off with. So this is, I mean, the fullest bodied, the richest or the slightly darkest fruited, but even then, we are not talking about a banger. We're not talking about powerful. It might have a bit of a chocolatey spice to the very fruit, but even with the most tannins. Yeah, it does have the most tannins. I would say like it is sometimes worth holding on to if it's a serious producer, but you're right. Even then it's still not crazy. Right. And like what I love about it is you tend to get like this like dried herbal element too, particularly if you hold onto it and there's really good acidity there. Sometimes the tannins are quite dense, but again, it's so age worthy. So if you can hold on for it for like two, three, four years, great. But I think, I think a big problem for it is that it's dwarfed by Hungary in terms of its production. Like I just discovered today, cause I was like, yeah, why isn't it like more popular, you know? And apparently in Austria, there's 2,437 hectares of it. Okay. Versus in Hungary, there's 8,000 hectares okay. of it. So I don't know if that's like part of the issue, but. Um, and for everyone listening, if you, when we talk about the same grape variety, that's Kek Frankos in Hungary. So it uh, does have a different yeah. name. Thank you. Yeah doesn't have a different name but still maybe I don't know it's difficult because sometimes I forget because being in the wine industry for such a long time and then just knowing about wines I don't remember what I ever discovered first or you know so sometimes it, I don't know whether everyone listening let me know if, have you heard of Kek Frankosch have you heard of Blau Frankisch they are the same I think it's also called Lemberger in Germany just a, yes it is just a confuse everybody but don't worry ignore the German one sorry if anyone's German and listening but like I've not found one of them (laughs) in in England I think we're all right over here aren't we right I mean they are like I mean at least with Black Frankish like I did see it was like available at Berry Brothers Clark Foisters Leon Wheeler Morich M-O-R-I-C is a fantastic producer really aromatic spicy dark mold plums like freaking love Morich and then actually, even at like hedonism, I saw they had like a Prela for twenty pounds, and Prela is like a really solid, solid producer. So again, they're not crazily expensive because not that many people know about them. So even if the producers are biodynamic or all organic or whatever, have been around for decades, I think actually Austrian wines, particularly the reds, because they're not so appreciated. Gruners are getting more expensive because people are starting to realize how freaking yeah. awesome they are. <laughs> Yeah, but you can make some real steals on the reds. And I do think, yeah, anyway, you need to be paying at least £10 to get something decent from Austria, but it's not like Burgundy, which has outpriced itself. It's not like Bordeaux. I think anything between the £10 and £20 range, you can find some absolute beautiful, beautiful examples. And also, I think this is what we talked about acidity we talked about freshness brightness of fruit what we haven't said is why which is everybody if you think about where this is I mean we are talking the same kind of latitude as burgundy but whereas burgundy still has some influence of actually even the ocean because it has some sea close to it this is landlocked and it's super super continental so you've got the really warm summers but then the super super cold 
winters. And actually, we haven't mentioned, Amelia, about like everyone thinks of like skiing in the Alps, maybe, but it's like none of the grapes are grown in the Alps. We're talking the east. Every wine region we're talking about is in the east. And so we've mentioned, okay, we've mentioned the Grunewaldliner that's great from Wachau and Kamtal and Kremstal, which is going to be more in the northern part compared. Exactly. Of compared to Vienna, but then all these reds that we're talking about that are fantastic. Northern land, yeah, precisely. too, yeah. Oh well, it, precisely, and I think and Styria, Styria. I really want to go to Styria, which is right at the south, and that's like where all Let's the like that. Sauvignon Blanc and Morion comes from. But we don't really get anything from there. I don't think any of that comes into the UK. And Sauvignon Blanc apparently is showing these really smoky, more mineral tones. And in general, the whites from Styria are a lot more, there's lots of aromatics. Really aromatic. And I think... It's got like a much more Mediterranean vibe there too, Mm. from what I've heard from people. Mm. It just like, it almost sounds like a different country. (laughs) Like, I mean, it's fascinating. But then again, what you realise... Just me being in Romania and from the vineyards at Cremela Rakash, I could see Hungary, I could see Serbia, I could see the mist on the Carpathian Mountains. And you suddenly realize how arbitrary all these borders are, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah, precisely. And then we talk about like, this is Austria, but all of the effects of the Pannonian Plains. So this is why when you go down into the Southeast part, which is why that's where the reds are growing, they've got all that heat coming in from the Pannonian Plains. And that's why it's, ah, okay, right. Before we finish this episode, we've already, I mean, do you not feel excited? Do you think it's a girl's trip to Austria soon? <laughs> we might I need to go. I to go, there's so many places I want to go. And like, you can get to the Wachau so easily from Vienna too. Like, it's so easy. Precisely. But one thing we haven't talked about again is the sweet wines as well. Because when we talk about in Bergenland, there is this like lake, New Sedlacy, which is also yeah. right, which is also a wine region. But what I found fascinating when I was studying was that this is so, so shallow. This lake is like one meter. One meter? Is it one meter? I feel like it's really, really shallow. And because it's so shallow, it the it's incredible for creating with the wine regions near it. Botrytis. So the noble rot, the fungus, the, the good fungus that we like, that's going to dry up the grapes. I actually literally talked about botrytis on my episode before this one. So anybody who is listening going, what the hell is botrytis? I literally just explained it. So if you haven't heard the episode before, go back. But yeah. And so in rust, in rust, which is within this region, they do amazing botrytized sweet wine that, you know, so I'm just like, do we not need to all just as we're talking? I'm like, there is so much good wine in Austria, and it's and actually we generally you and I, you know, we know the prices of Sauternes, the Betrystized sweet wine in France, and and really good versions in in Hungary, Tokai, and Tokai has become super super famous. But actually, again, really good value are exactly like, for instance, from here. Well, and also I must admit, I know this is not Austria, but when I was in Romania earlier this week. A huge shock was the amazing barrel fermented Sauvignon Blanc dessert wine from Cremela Rakash, which was only seven quid for like <laughs> half a bottle. And I'm not going to say which wine buyer, but there was a wine buyer who has several wine bars in London. And he's like, give me Ooh. that. Like, yeah. Well, <laughs> Amelia, as you know, I've also visited Cremela Rakash. And also for anyone who's listening now who's not listened, go back and search this if you want to know about wines of Romania, because I did a podcast with them, because 
I genuinely think, I mean, Austria, everyone do get involved and try because Austria is so exciting. But I do still think that these could Romanian wines may well be the very best value wines I've tasted in the world. Me too. Yeah. Me so, too. So exciting. So hang but on. We need another podcast to talk about. Are we? Are well, we? You've already done it. You've actually, you've already actually done it justice. Your podcast on, well, the two podcasts you did on Cremelo Cash was incredible. Oh, very helpful you. research before I went out. Oh, you're very welcome. But now my question to you is, are we happy to conclude the Austrian episode having said that Romanian wine is the best value in the world? Well, um, okay. I think we, well. Value. Yeah. But I still think like in terms of like more premium wines, wines with ageability, wines with real character, Austria can absolutely offer that in the reds, but I also just think the whites are some of the most exciting, enticing, food-friendly. And actually, in terms of their history, quite frankly, like the, the price to, to, to value ratio is it, it's justified. It's not the cheapest wine in the world, but it's it will give you absolutely guaranteed pleasure. <laughs> So I hope now you are inspired to drink more Austrian wine or in fact, fly to Vienna, enjoy the classical music, the operas, the ballets, take a boat down the Danube or enjoy some of the thermal spas. If you are planning to go to Camptal, which is just one hour to the west of Vienna, on my bucket list, when I go to Austria next, I want to stay at the Loisium Wine and Spa Hotel. It's bang in the middle of the vineyards. It's in the town of Langenlois. So check that out. And as always, I finish off with a wine quote. I wanted one that showcases wine's cultural significance at its timeless appeal. And so Ernest Hemingway said it best when he said, wine is the most civilised thing in the world. And so that leads me on to part two, which is coming out next week with Amelia, where we're touching on a bit more of the wine stories and her own personal wine experiences and taking it out a little bit further than just the simple enjoyment of wine. So I'll see you back here next week. If you're loving these episodes, please do take just two seconds to leave a review or a rating on your podcast app as it massively makes the podcast far more discoverable. And we need to get people more excited about Austrian wine. So raising my glass of Gruner Veltliner to you all. Until next week, cheers to you.